नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑलराइट टुडेस पॉडकास्ट इज अबाउट द माय साइड बायस एंड टू टॉक अबाउट इट विद मी इज राम प्रसाद राम थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग ऑन द पॉडकास्ट यप हैप्पी टू बी हियर ऑलराइट राम सो लेट्स स्टार्ट लाइक दिस कैन वी स्टार्ट बाय बेसिकली गिविंग अ not even a brief a quite a detailed explanation of what the my side bias is and why are we talking about this today yeah uh i mean before i go any further like a standard disclaimer uh i'm um, no more objective uh, no less biased than uh, anyone out there i think anyone who thinks that they are less biased is probably more biased I, i think bias is kind of inherent to human nature but i mean we use some of these terminologies like bias you know quite frequently and in the scientific or much more in the social science literature a lot of it is kind of ca- captured i mean you can um, see many of these terminologies kind of seeping into you know uh, popular culture and uh, newspapers and reporting and so on and so forth and whenever you think of you know um, bias we use these things in sentences saying i am biased towards this or i am biased towards this party but bias is 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 kind of human and some of these biases are are, are structural uh, they're evolutionary in nature i mean to give you a simple example we talk about you know overconfidence as a bias that all of us are wired to be overconfident and there is a lot of evolutionary purpose to these biases that if you are not overconfident you would have never gotten out of the cave you'll never you know gone for the moon you'll not start a business kushal wouldn't start a podcast because a lot of podcasts fail uh so there is value to overconfidence and uh and often times when we are dealing with an uncertain world some of these you know heuristics and biases tend to help us right now we take a view to some of these biases thinking that they are bad i mean you could say that most of the time these heuristics and biases actually help us uh, but sometimes the consequences can be disastrous now many of these biases also come with some kind of a benign nature to them and you think you know they're they're everywhere and therefore they're not that harmful uh for us as a society and to us as individuals uh but uh, this uh, this bias that you know we are talking about today my said bias has characteristically it's very very different and uh, uh keith stanovich in his book uh, you know i think there's a paper that he had put out calling out the differences between other types of bias and this type of bias and this specific bias and i think it's important to kind of understand uh structurally you know how this is different i mean like we discussed before bias has this very uh benign nature to it where you think you know it's not something that you actively cultivate you're kind of born with it and you kind of learn with it uh my said bias goes a step further where uh, a, a good way to understand is think of confirmation bias right i mean this is a terminology that seeped into journalism much more in the last few years where you have a point of view and then you find you read a story and then you take the evidence that you want from that story and confirm your own kind of beliefs saying that you know for example 
you'd want to think that all Trump voters are racist, and then you find one racist guy, and you think, see, I told you, you know, this guy is racist, and therefore it confirms my beliefs. My side bias goes a step further, where you're not just confirming your beliefs, it's much more what they call a motivated cognition, where you're actively generating information to support your bias, right? So your beliefs. Uh, again, when we talk about beliefs, there are those that are testable, like the earth is uh, round, you can, there's still some flat earthers, but those are, uh, those are testable beliefs. And then there are a lot of distal beliefs where, uh, for example, in the Indian context, if we say we subsidize farmers too much, it's a distal belief, right? But if I put a very specific information on we spend X on farmers, that's a testable belief. You can go back and look for information. So I think that's the differentiation that we're talking about, this view that we spend too much or too little or uh, we waste so much on, on a specific uh, policy position. So my side bias is where you're actively generating information to support your, your worldview. Uh, it doesn't get better with intelligence. Uh, so there's nothing out there that suggests that if you are, uh, if you, if you otherwise cognitively better than the average, uh, that your my side bias is low. It poorly correlates to numeracy. So even though you're very good at your, you know, your understanding of numbers and logic doesn't make you uh, any less susceptible to, you know, my side bias. And, and so therefore this has this inverse equation where in fact, if you are more intelligent, it's more likely that your my side bias is worse than, uh, than otherwise. And you have this situation where I think it doesn't go all the way as lying, right? So lying is very different. So I think that's a nuance that we need to kind of bear in mind is that on one side, you have confirmation bias. On the other side, where you have lying, where you're lying to yourself and knowingly, you know, telling untruths. That's not what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about a situation where I have a worldview, where I think I have thought my way to this worldview. And so therefore, I'm always generating uh, information. Now, in real life, let me give you an example, right? We're always uh, in anticipation, right? So as people, we're anticipating the future, uh, how I'm going to feel about a holiday or how I'm going to feel about this podcast. Uh, and a tape is kind of always playing in a mind. So either you're playing the past or you're playing the future. And assume that you're playing, the, you're meeting some friend who does not agree with your worldview, right? And subconsciously this you're playing this conversation saying that I'm going to meet this person and we're going to have this conversation with this person and you're honing your arguments, right? So you're pre-playing your arguments in your head uh, and you're structuring arguments saying this guy is going to say X about the leader I like. I'm going to respond with Y. Uh, and you're playing all this, all these tapes and then therefore you're actively some, you know, oftentimes kind of either generating information. Uh, uh, and building these these arguments. So therefore, we're always trying to persuade each other, uh, like uh, a Congress supporter might be, you know, trying to persuade that Modi is bad and uh, a Modi supporter is trying to persuade the other way around. And therefore, it also makes us very insular that our tape is, is never tuned to listening, right? We are not anticipating uh, to listening unless you're listening to a, 
well-known expert in a thing and you know uh, where you're going with the, with the specific purpose of listening otherwise in a conversation or a dialogue you're not playing listening you're always playing persuasion you're always trying to kind of uh, uh, persuade uh, others now i learned by saying you know talking about what it means to generating information um, actively to support your worldview is that if you look at a lot of uh, studies coming from you know social science departments in universities uh, a lot of scales have changed right so for example if i ask someone do you believe in reservations right and if that someone says i don't believe in reservations i could it could be because this person does not he believes that there is discrimination but the, this, this policy is not great but the way it's happened today is that if someone says i do not believe in reservation you are immediately classified as a casteist or some kind of you know uh, caste supremacist uh, and similarly in um, you know in the us where if you ask somebody a question saying you know do do you believe in affirmative action and somebody might say no i don't uh, you could be you know classified as as a racist and there are other good examples where it actually becomes much worse so for example are you in i mean that's some of these examples this book talks about is that you know do you believe in uh, you know imposing uh, additional uh, tolls uh, for cars in cities you know during rushers like if you go to singapore you pay these rusher taxes and so if you oppose them you are classified as an environmental denier but these policies hurt the poor much more than the rich a lot of people are dependent on driving in these cities and if you're a poor guy he can't afford this toll there's to a rich guy it doesn't really matter right so many of these policies are could be harmful and therefore i might say that you know uh, uh this are not good uh, more recently you could talk about the entire defunding the police where Uh, there's significant opposition to the policy among the african americans but anybody who opposed this is kind of uh, classified as a racist i mean that's what happens in media but when universities start changing scales in studies uh, changing the meaning of terminologies and putting out a lot of information and therefore you say classify say all trump voters as racist that suddenly there is this new breed of people who have come on to this world world uh when you actually go back and look at data there the people same people who voted for romney or mccain or what not right i mean and you could see this similar argument uh, arguments everywhere uh so i think it gets into dangerous territories when a lot of institutions and i think this is a very important point is that when a, when a lot of institutions that are supposed to reduce some of these mindset biases actively contribute to it right so if you think about the scientific method right it's supposed it's supposed the scientific inquiry is supposed to be that you know there are checks and balances there has to be disagreement and therefore something that comes out is you know it's kind of vetted it's gone through uh, proper dialogue and discussion and scrutiny but what has happened these days is that there is no room for that right i mean uh, so if you question this you're you're a science denier right as opposed to somebody who's questioning say a study design or uh, or the conclusions drawn from the design 
And so uh, the entire scientific community, which is supposed to be a barrier to my side thinking, is kind of actively contributing it. And you could see the say the same thing about universities. You could say the same about uh, about journalism. And that's where you are in uh, in in kind of a dangerous territory where uh, some of this the institutional mechanism is kind of uh, crumbling or uh, or crumbled. Uh, and therefore, there is this excessive burden on individuals uh, to deal with this bias, right? as opposed to uh, some institutional kind of mechanism. Uh, I don't know how many of you, I guess most people have come up, you know, uh, come across this term called devil's advocate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, you have to have someone actively arguing against, uh, you know, a majority position and, you know, punch holes, much like what happens in a court of law, right? Uh, so that you can test the strength of your arguments, as opposed to just pushing things because, you know, your beliefs and uh, uh, your policy positions kind of align. So I think just to sum it up, this is much more a motivated kind of a bias, is much more active. It doesn't correlate very well with your openness or intelligence or or numeracy, so to speak. And it's gone to a point where uh, the institutional mechanism that's supposed to minimize this bias is actively kind of contributing it. All right. So, so just to give people a context, so the book that that talks about this bias is the bias that divides us, the science and politics of my side thinking. The author is Keith Stanovich and. Uh, it's always give. Uh, it's always important to give a definition. So I'm directly reading from Stanovich's book, uh, which is page six of his book, I think, where he says, "My side bias is when we evaluate evidence, generate evidence, and test hypothesis in a manner biased towards our own prior beliefs, opinions, and attitudes." There's another interesting line that he says is, "We are not living in a post-truth society. We are living in a my side society." Now that is very important. Because yeah. what happened, if you remember, Ram, after Modi won in 2014, there was this brief period in Indian politics where, uh, as you know, with the great Indian intelligentsia in courts, everybody... Uh, I came across this word post-truth for the first time was when I saw Shwapandas Gupta basically destroying this whole hypothesis of post-truth and destroying, I use this word with full responsibility because it, there is no clickbait intention here because I really felt that he destroyed this whole post-truth argument very well. Uh, it was on a debate where uh, I think Barkhadat was moderating that debate and Shwapanda was with someone I forget. And that's where he start talking, started talking about a post-truth. But obviously at that time, this, this idea of uh, we are living in a my side society did not yeah. occur. And... You know, I always try to, you know, bring this back. So, and and the, like you rightfully said that, you know, and Stanovich says this, that he says that it is displayed by people in all demographic groups and it is exhibited by even expert reasoners, the highly educated and the highly intelligent. Now, um, but now here's the thing. I think we need to expand more on one facet, which he starts off with his book, which is the first one where... You know, he says how people often confuse confirmation bias, belief bias, and my side bias. Now, why, in my view, this is very important is that 
this word confirmation bias especially is the most um i have which word should i use the most abused word when it comes to biases <laughs> <laughs> मतलब उसको कहते हैं ना हिंदी में जिस शब्द का पूरी तरह से नींबू निचोड़ लिया गया है जिसको हिंदी में कहते हैं इट हैज बीन मिसयूज्ड एवरीवेयर नाउ आई वांट टू रीड एंड देन आई वांट यू टू मे बी एक्सप्लेन दिस यू नो बेटर यू डिड टॉक अबाउट डिजिटल बिलीफ्स बट स्टिल लेट्स टॉक अबाउट इट अ लिटिल मोर सो ही सेज बिलीफ बायस इज नॉट द सेम एज माय साइड बायस बिलीफ बायस अकर्स व्हेन आवर रियल वर्ल्ड नॉलेज इंटरफेयर्स विद आवर रीजनिंग परफॉर्मेंस whereas my side bias occurs when we search for and interpret evidence in a manner that tends to favor the hypothesis we want to be true so can we so then obviously you know he goes ahead and he talks about you know this famous example where he says you may think that pharmaceutical companies make excessive profits or that your state should spend more on mental health and less on green initiatives certainly economic statistics and public policy facts might condition distal beliefs such as these either strengthening or weakening your attachment to them but they cannot verify your distal beliefs in the same yep. manner that they can verify your testable ones many yep. distal beliefs embody our values when they do they are apt to become convictions because they will lead to emotional commitment and ego preoccupation as argued by abelson 1988 distal beliefs often derive from our general world views or in politics from our ideologies my side bias centers on distal beliefs not testable ones belief bias in contrast centers on testable beliefs now let us focus on this and let us maybe um look at it from a indian perspective and from an indian policy perspective so let's talk about the farm laws don't you think it's a beautiful case the farm laws itself where do you think the entire debate on the farm laws where, where do you think it suffers from does it suffer from the my side bias or does it uh, suffer from the belief bias typically many of this you know uh, the value of a uh, of a policy in terms of its future impact uh, is by and large prediction right so therefore so if you look at any policy you start with saying you know this is what we are doing today and it's not working and therefore we need to do something different right so in the second part there is always disagreement right as to what one needs to do uh, that you know this is not working uh some people might agree as to why that it is not working but equally they might kind of disagree uh, as to why it is not working so for example if you tell people you know msp is not working and somebody might say yes it's not working it should be more or some people might say you know it should kind of uh, go away altogether uh, there is obviously i think you cannot uh, uh, talk about farmers without the politics of it right so which is where i think uh, it always kind of corrupts things takes into other kind of motivations as to why somebody might support uh, and oppose some of these positions but again going back to some of this testable uh, beliefs i'll give you a simple example i was talking to a friend about uh, recently there was a wave of attacks on asians in in the us right uh, and somebody was saying you know this is there are a lot of uh, rallies of you know asking for white supremacy to be uh, uh, to be called out and i was talking to this friend and telling him you know do you know that like something like 90% of attacks on asians are 
by African American men, and she's going to be exactly. <laughs> this is why I was laughing because I knew what we are going to get to. Yeah, and uh, said, "Is this so?" I said, "Yeah, you should uh, look for it." And uh, uh, this person looked for it, and I mean, I'm not a fool to think that this person came back and said, "Thank you for like changing my worldview." <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> I mean. Uh, he came back and said, "That's too much to expect, Ram." Yeah, I came back and said, "But do you know why these attacks are going up? It's all Trump's fault, right?" So you could acknowledge the, that the perpetrator is not a white guy, but still ascribe the the causality to something else, and still mm-hmm. kind of hold on to your worldview, right? So that that kind of brings to and to the next point is that there are some you know nut cases so you could have a highly verifiable thing that you know the, the, the earth is round and there will still be some people who don't kind of believe in that but in most cases slowly we come to change our world view right so you have like a lot of evidence in front of you and it takes a while uh, uh in this book uh, Thomas Kuhn's, I think, when he talks about paradigm shifting thing, right? He talks about how it's very difficult to change people's view, and sometimes, you know, often rather, beliefs change with generation. Uh, uh, I'll give you this very interesting story. So, one of my uncles uh, was when we were little, he was into hunting, and you know, he would go and hunt wild boar and like in, heavy into eating meat, and. Uh, once he developed some kind of a stomach ache, uh, went to a doctor, and the doctor said this is ulcer, and therefore you should stop eating these these types of food and like no alcohol and blah blah blah. A long list of do's and don'ts. And for about three decades since, uh, this man followed that advice. Right? Uh, he would not even like eat something like a sambar right so mostly like the chawal like very very light food no not even a hint of green chili and many years later so i um, i went to him and said you know there's a lot of new thinking on what causes ulcer right so for those of you are not familiar with that i mean uh the, these two australian i think it's called barry marsh i think they came with this understanding that ulcer can be caused by bacteria and the scientific community never believed them because stomach is supposed to be full of acids and that bacteria mm-hmm. could not survive in, in a highly acidic environment. It kind of did make sense. So therefore, to prove themselves, this man had to drink live bacteria in, in front of a live audience and then test few days later to show that the bacteria indeed survived in his stomach. Right. And therefore, now the line of treatment for ulcers changed dramatically, you know, uh, from from anti-acidity uh, kind of medication to to antibacterial, you know, uh, antibiotics rather. Now, I explained all of this to my uncle and said, you know, maybe you want to go back to eating what you've been eating. I mean, right, you've, all your life you've deprived yourself of good food. Now, there is evidence to suggest that, you know, it may have nothing to do with spicy food. That certainly aggravates it. Maybe you want to go back to the doctor and, you know, change things. Uh, he would hear none of it because he spent 30 years believing something, right? He's not going to change, and now all of that kind of seems like uh, seems like a waste. And 
he never changed his view. He never went to a doctor and uh, you know sought more information and so on and so forth. I mean, there is a lot of value to uh, uh, to the consistency of behavior. Now, here is where I the point I'm coming to. It's that it's extraordinarily difficult. It's extraordinarily difficult for you to keep changing your worldview, right? Cognitively, it's super taxing, right? For those of you who attend conferences, so think back, right? Although you're sitting in a chair the whole day, you feel extremely tired at the end of the day. You're not doing anything physical, but you feel exhausted at the end of the day, as opposed to a regular day in office. That's because we're not used to paying a lot of attention in, in a regular office, right? So you pay attention for 10, 20 minutes, then you take a break. Paying attention constantly, you know, means expending a lot of energy. And that's what happens in these conferences where you feel exhausted simply because your brain is, is basically spending a lot of energy. I mean, the math on that is, I think, is quite simple. The brain is like 2% of body's weight, but consumes something like 20% of energy. So think about if you have to actively read information that contradicts your worldview and and you are in the state of dissonance, which is emotionally very, very difficult to be, right? So it's like your, your best friend uh, and, uh, for several years and he suddenly does something that, you know, that you're kind of shocked and you have this state, how can he do this to me, right? So for several days, uh, you have this dissonance. And so for you to kind of constantly keep changing your position based on new evidence, it's mentally very, very taxing. Therefore, much more easy to just uh, not change your view and therefore look for information that you know aligns with your view. So therefore, if I'm a BJP supporter, I would I would not watch NDTV or I would watch bits and pieces of it to expose NDTV uh, as opposed to actively looking for information that might uh, you know change my worldview. And similarly, if I'm a uh, a Congress supporter, I would not watch, say, something like, say, Republic uh, uh, or some other media channel that's uh, uh, kind of partisan to my party and might give me, you know, contradicting information. It's not easy. Uh, and it may not even be particularly healthy for you to keep doing this on a day-to-day -day basis. You won't be able to do anything else. <laughs> uh, constantly kind of evaluating, uh, you know, what you kind of believe in. Uh, but I think it does get to a point where it becomes uh, danger. I mean, I want to use that term carefully, but detrimental to, to society. True. And, and, you know, that is why, uh, you know, the point on the evolution of, of this bias on how do we look at it? You know, he quotes uh, Dan Dennett very beautifully where he says, you know, our skills were honed for taking sides, persuading others in debate, not necessarily getting things right. Uh, yeah. That's actually, when I read that quote by Dan Dennett, it hit me so hard as an individual, as a human being who, you know, and and, and I want to add one more book that I recently recently finished uh, by Julia Galef called The Scout Mindset. I would highly recommend that book for, for everyone is where, you know, she says that, you know, the way with in which we should be looking at arguments and and i want to take people back to ancient hindu scriptures because not i'm as godless as it gets but i think what is the truth should be 
the way we seek our life and the ideal position in in any case in our life should be what is the truth and it doesn't matter where the chips fall so if my side loses my side loses if the other side loses the other side loses what matters should be that what is true because there is only a one a priori assumption as always in my world view at least i consciously try to function like that not that i function like that all the time i'm very much aware of my biases but my 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 mindset has always been that human flourishing and when i say human flourishing i mean the flourishing of the planet because all other species on the planet are directly related to human beings and their flourishing we're all interconnected in some uh, you know some way so if that is the sole criteria then i think uh, you know we should but let us focus on the evolutionary side of this now if if it is the case now like i want to take those four scenarios where he talks about you know how how we have evolved to to have this my side bias because there are three four interesting factors about this bias right that just because like he he's very careful when he says that you might have a my side bias on topic a it does not yep. mean you will have a my side bias on the other 20 topics that you're discussing you might be spot on on the other 20 topics but you will be having your my side bias on this one topic and that's the tough part about this right so what my what i'm trying to get at is that this is a far tougher bias to get over than anything else right yeah because it's not a personality trait um, it's more content specific right so yeah. i might be willing to have lot less Uh, my side bias on on a somewhat a neutral topic as opposed to something that you know i believe where i have thought my way through a viewpoint that's what that's the point he makes is that the more intelligent you are the more you'd like to believe that you know you're a thoughtful person and that every belief that you hold you have thought through you've analyzed all the information and come to a conclusion and if it's something that you feel very strongly about you're not ever uh likely to give any space uh for disagreement as opposed to you know some other area where you don't uh, uh where you feel a little bit neutral now in our uh in our personal life right uh, i mean i was having this discussion in some other forum on this the futility of some of this political conversations right i mean i often find used to find myself in you know discussing politics with best friends and then it's kind of going nowhere uh, you're kind of making each other angry and i set some ground rules for myself saying you know when i meet some of my best friends or or coworkers not to discuss areas where people have very very strong my side bias right and that includes myself as well saying that we're not going to discuss these topics because there is no persuading each other on this one no one is kind of listening and therefore uh you know you stick to topics <laughs> so basically it's not that uh someone is more or less argumentative it's like some topics are more or less argumentative and therefore if you want to have a quiet holiday with a friend or when you're visiting them and you don't want to kind of ruin your mood it kind of makes sense to pick uh, some of those topics uh, uh and discuss on those things as opposed to you know discussing topics where there is very strong my side bias the other thing structurally i think is a very important one in case of 
when you are trying to compare India and the US is this. In the US, it's much more pronounced because of the two-party system. At some point, I used to think, you know, maybe the presidential system is better or maybe a two-party system is better. Uh, but when you think about, again, from a, from a lens of a mindset bias, two-party system makes it a lot worse. So if you have a multi-party system, at least you are dealing with multiple mindset biases. In fact, the, you can kind of simplify it that way, where you have four or five parties and therefore four or five supporters holding different positions. And therefore, you could have someone agreeing on X policy of, you know, party A with, you know, Y policy of, you know, party B uh, and, and reason with it, right? So, for example, a lot of people find it shocking that someone like a Joe Rogan uh, can be for universal basic income and be in favor of guns because you have this highly, you know, partisan two-party system where you have to agree to everything on one side for you to be considered a member of that. Uh, and that certainly you can see among, among party supporters as well, like uh, if you are an atheist, can you be considered a, a, a BJP supporter or if you eat meat or if you eat uh, a cow or whatnot, right? So you, we, we frame all of these rules. And if there were probably like say, two, three parties like BJP, and then, then I think there is more space for uh, for people with differing views to kind of align with those. And then you have a society where there is much more kind of diversity in, 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 you know, uh, in these beliefs. Otherwise, this is going to get worse. I mean, it's gotten to a point where there is hegemony, right? I mean, if 99... I don't think you can keep a job in New York Times today if you said that you voted for Trump, right? Yep. That's the same thing in university. The book talks about the the number of professors who align themselves as liberals or you know or Democrats uh, from I think being something like 70, 80 percent few years ago. It's probably like 98 percent now, right? So you have a corporate America where uh, it's all kind of one-sided. You have universities, you have journalists, and therefore you have many of these institutions that have fallen fully for this, right? Uh, and that's where you're always generating information that's kind of supporting your worldview. Uh, we've certainly seen the effects of that in India, right? So if you go back our, as to how our history is written and why some of our policies have been that way, is because you had a one-party rule for many, many years. And therefore, everybody started believing, you know, that is that is to be true. And uh, uh, many of these distilled beliefs that he talks about, where you start believing, you know, higher taxation is good, uh, you know, higher regulation is good, uh, more controls are, are kind of better. And uh, a lot of people even today feel very nostalgic about it. I mean, you talk to a to an IS officer of the 70s and they all look back and say, you know, those are the golden days and whatever. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, where you, you waited for Don KCS to get a stupid scooter or whatnot. Uh, but I think that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, I think we need to worry a bit more about structural things and therefore 
I feel good whenever somebody says, you know, they're changing, uh, they're appointing some you know, um, ex-leaning person in a university, which is good. I mean, uh, why should you know, they, all, they all be of a, of a certain political dispensation? And this belief that I have a higher qualification and I'm more intelligent, and therefore I know what you know, what I'm doing uh, on a variety of things. It's a, um, it's silly, you know. You don't. I mean, you, that belief is actually one of the worst among journalists, and they're supposed to be kind of reporting information. Imagine, you know, truth keepers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's become activism, and everyone can can see it. Uh, but uh, I mean, I was listening somewhere where somebody was talking about how. I mean, if you think of uh, a journalist from your uh, childhood, I mean, I certainly have these memories of this guy with like wearing, wearing like a kurta pajama, Hawaii chapel. He had like this cloth bag and like a pen and paper. And he did not have a qualification as a journalist. He probably had like a, a graduate, you know, an undergrad degree. And he just went around asking people, you know, for stories and he would work for several weeks to find a story. Now it's become a highly kind of sophisticated. Uh, then somebody said, you know, this requires a, a profession, right? As though it's like chemistry or physics, right? The principle in the <laughs> principles in that are quite simple. And now you have a, a professional journalist who has a qualification in it, uh, and somehow they they kind of seek parity with like an actual scientist or some other professional or a finance professional who needs to kind of understand a lot of concepts. Uh, whereas journalism in that way is kind of much simpler. But again, they all go through the same machine uh, to a university which is highly liberal uh, and where my side bias is, is, is at its peak. And they come on the other side uh, and then they produce information which, again, uh, uh, perpetuates some of these biases much more strongly. Uh, and it's a horrible loop to be in, you know. Uh, and therefore, when they see a large section of society is not aligned with them, and therefore, you then call saying, you know, all like say BJP voters are stupid uh, because why are they doing things, you know, that are against their interest or or whatnot, right? I mean, so oftentimes when we look at some of these guys and say they're lying or they're partisan hacks. I mean, there is certainly that element where there is much more than my side bias, right? Where somebody hides information or generates falsehoods. I think that's a difference that we have to bear in mind, as opposed to I keep going and looking for information that supports um, uh, my worldview. Uh, and it, I mean, I think I've said this story before. I had a friend who worked in a very large multinational company and he launched a new brand. And which was doing okay. Uh, and then there was a global strategy to kind of rationalize brands. And the management decided that this brand needs to be shut. They had to make a case for it. So they called this person and said, you know, uh, generate some data as to what is happening. Uh, and this guy goes with this data. And the director of the company tells him, your data is not supporting my hypothesis. <laughs> right? And 
uh, this case like you know data is data data is truth hypothesis well hypothesis uh, uh, but then he he was told that if you know if you torture data it will confess uh, and that tends to happen quite a bit right so where if data comes that doesn't support your uh, your distal belief so to speak then you might actively go and look for information or or interpretations uh, uh, to kind of support your worldview um. yeah but uh, you know this also about this whole of how we signal in fact the, that bit in the book about expressive rationality is very important here when it comes to our political worldview basically where you know most of the times our signaling is done not out of uh, uh some real great rational thought it is just us signaling to be part of a group and yes. to be part of a camp and a lot of our political alliances and allegiances are actually driven by that which is why you know at the end of the book if you remember in chapter 6 he has a detailed section about are we polarized or not he's like we are more my side biased than polarizes because we want to be part of a group in the political setup and and here i want to talk about this whole thing that is happening in our society with the collapse of old structures what happens is politics has kind of taken over the role of religion at least in america where uh, previously religion used to have a role in our society and when you lose religion then you you need to fill that void with something and yep. a lot of people are actually now clinging on to their political identity like they used to cling on to their religious identity and that leads to a lot of these uh, follies in their thinking i think a lot of times whether you look at debates in india too if you uh, you can you can look at any debate in india when was the last time any debate in india was really based on facts other than the ram mandir one at least on the side of the bjp they had archaeological arguments they had archaeological uh, uh, epigraphic arguments you know literary arguments they had like a good detail but if you look at in general policy discussions in india they are just done we have the majority we are passing it they don't even bother to go out there and explain a policy to people that's not how things are done right it is all about signaling i mean exactly when it talks about culturalism but uh, you're also in a situation where you're not supposed to make compromises right so that's the new rule today that if you are a congress leader you cannot make any compromise on a policy position unless there are strong incentives where congress everyone came together on the i think the national judiciary uh, legislation that happened several years ago which the courts kind of struck down uh, or where all the mps have to give themselves a pay raise where everybody would kind of agree because your incentives are aligned otherwise i think uh there is this war against uh compromise which is the essence of most policy making so once you take in a position saying that you're not going to make any compromise so then you don't want to discuss common anything that's common ground like facts are common ground uh that any policy has some good things in it is common ground or that any policy has some bad in it is common ground you don't discuss those things right so then you get on to uh like many of these uh distal beliefs as opposed to testable beliefs right so uh, i don't know how many of you have been following this latest uh, thing in the us on that kyle rittenhouse case 
where oh, there yeah. are some facts there are some facts that it's illegal for him to carry that gun uh and facts that you know that state line is just like 20 miles and he had family or whatever but if you look at the entire media narrative it's, it's they didn't say it is illegal but he said you know he crossed state lines and he was you know carrying this gun uh, obtained illegally or what not and therefore you have a large percentage of population who believes that i mean not just your digital beliefs that you know even your facts are wrong right that it's a lot of people believe that he had shot two black people a lot of people believe that uh, that carrying a gun like that is illegal you know in that state so now i think it's gotten to a point that even testable beliefs uh have gotten to a point where you know people do not even have access to that information because all your information sources are basically uh trying to give you a narrative where it's impossible for you to kind of uh look for what is truth and what is not and so you have this situation where the 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 culturism or a partisanship is not just a political thing it's a people thing uh and again uh, highly highly recommend the book uh, hating by matt taibbi which talks again about how media incentives are aligned to uh, aligned to this much more to this my side bias right so if i if i'm a uh, bjp supporter and if i keep watching ndtv right it's not good for uh my own head right in several ways and so therefore you start watching a channel and that's much worse in countries like us where you have just two narratives uh and therefore uh, you know you're in a situation where you don't have access to a lot of facts i mean this guy bill mark keeps talking about how a lot of democrats overestimate the risk of covid right uh, i think the number is they think your risk of hospitalization if you catch covid is something like 41% I mean, that's what most democrats think that's because they've been kind of fed a narrative again this is a very testable belief there are good numbers to tell you you know this is 1% or less than 1% or whatever but a lot of people believe that it's 41% because there is an element of their own body and their own health uh and so therefore even though there are numbers that that can question your view those numbers are not available to you and now we are on this path where you think uh of something to be much more kind of dangerous than than what it is so i think there are some serious real world consequences to some of these beliefs in terms of you know what you do on a day to day basis uh, uh where you spend your money and what not right i mean i don't think we are calculating the real costs of some of these uh, these my side biases uh, simply because we we find it hard to kind of acknowledge uh, to begin with yeah i think the best way he summarizes it in the book is where he says my side biases consistently associated only with the direction and strength of the focal belief itself the tendency to display my side bias seems to be not an inherent characteristic of a person but instead more a function of the specific beliefs and opinions the person has acquired 
we thus are in need of a perspective that emphasizes the content of belief rather than processing tendencies if we are to properly understand my side bias this is a classic case of what you have said in the Kyle Rittenhouse case right where yeah. everybody see you already have decided what you want to be it is like I'm on team A I'm on team B now if I am team A and apparently I'm supposed to it's like the discussion about Modi in Western media, right? Yes. I have always done this. So, so uh, I was I, I don't like to take names, but a, a guest on the podcast who's come here, you know, from America. I I told I told them that in my view, from where I'm sitting in India, the discussion around Narendra Modi in the Western press is okay. We don't know a lot about India. Who are we supposed to hate, man? Yep. <laughs> It starts from the premise that who am I supposed to hate? Who's the bad guy? Please tell me. I don't want to do my research. Just tell me who I'm supposed to hate. It just makes things easy for me. And then somebody who you so-called uh, call a trustworthy source in India. And then, and this is a classic case of my side bias, right? You, it, no, if is. there ever was a case of that. It is. And uh, I was having this very interesting conversation with somebody who is in the, the world of policy and development. And uh, you're saying same thing, you know, it's all the world is full of like right wing governments and he was reeling of names. Uh, and I was trying to tell him, you know, like think about the policy positions of say Modi, they're extremely left leaning. And he's like, what do you mean? And then I was talking about several things which should be a delight for a left leaning policymaker, whether in terms of, you know, toilets or homes or or cooking gas, or, or some of the you know gender-related work that they're doing, you, you can think of 20 policy positions that are very, very left-leaning to a point where a lot of Modi supporters don't like some of these policies because, uh, you know, it, it's too much of spending, so to speak. And often in cases where this is what happens, right? So, this is a tape that they are not prepared for. I mean, remember when the beginning of the conversation we talked about uh, how we are playing this tape, right? So if I'm meeting someone who I agree with, I have a different tape going on saying that we are going to outrage together. We are going to talk about these recent incidents, how Modi was so bad. And then the other person is going to agree with me. And then we're going to have this conversation. But if something different happens, right? Uh, you don't have a recourse because you have not practiced that conversation in your mind. And that's what happens when you correct someone on some basic facts. Uh, the conversation pretty much ends saying that, oh, I didn't know that. And then they'll kind of move on to something else as opposed to you having a conversation about, you know, like some of the more subjective or, 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 or distal points that I was talking about. So I'll give you another example. Uh, I was meeting someone today, uh, Sonar today, a few days ago, and who knew my general positions on, you know, in public health and vaccines. And then I was talking about, you know, look at all these nutcases who are not taking the vaccine. And, you know, I'm sure when the vaccine, you know, comes, they won't even give it to their children. Uh, you must be, you know, waiting to give it to your own child or whatnot. I said, I don't know if I want to give it to my, you know, little son because the risk there doesn't seem that bad for them and I probably need to look at more data I'm like vaccinated myself but you know I, I don't have good data to suggest that you know you should 
and that's where the conversation ended because this person was hoping that i would then say you know people who don't give it parents who don't give it to their children are all you know right wing lunatics uh and and the modi conversation is similar in that in the sense that it happens among people who agree with each other so there is never a point where they look beyond and say should we look at some policy positions should we look at some basic facts uh they don't right so so therefore you have a, a kind of a narrative that goes along i mean look at this entire russia gate thing <laughs> right i mean this should completely destroy whatever little faith you have in media in the us where uh hillary clinton pays for a dossier that most people ignored and that dossier becomes your basis for this assumption that you know trump colluded with russia and everybody went with that story they won a lot of pulitzers now it turns out that they not only paid for it the main source for the dossier was a you know was, uh, uh, or an operative for clinton and uh, the whole thing is a sham uh, and the very least like say you expect a washington post or a new york times to do is to return the pulitzers because your entire reporting is based on lie so the institutional capture today is so much that not only your news is biased that even the awards that you get for what you do are biased right so you have like a complete clown like that uh, andrew kubon who gets an emmy and recently everyone was like getting very excited about you know i think one of the comedians getting an emmy nomination it's kind of meaningless you know uh, and i think that's what the other point that i wanted to make is that uh, there is something very interesting about you know stand up comedy and scan uh, norm macdonald talks about it uh, in great detail about why it is such a difficult art and i'll link it to my side bias in some ways is that it's a very difficult art because you have to make a room full of people laugh at the same time right it's not like a sitcom where you're sitting at home some people are laughing and some people are not so stand up comedy is where you have to make people you know laugh at the same time and it's a very difficult art form because you have to connect to a large group at the same time and laughter is spontaneous whereas applause is not right so i could say something you know women can do something as well as men and then everybody will kind of clap but if i say a bad joke nobody is laughing at me just to kind of make me feel good mm-hmm. so therefore i think what what has happened with stand up comedy therefore the the perversion of some of these things like my said bias is that comedy is kind of become activism and therefore you don't need to tell jokes anymore you, you just need to express your my said bias in flowery language and then a lot of people clap so when i look at stand up comedy performances and if i hear more claps and less laughs to me it's a failure as a comedy right so this applause is not spontaneous right so you could say something provocative or something uh, uh something inspirational you know or a famous quote and people would kind of laugh, uh, laugh. but the connection that i was trying to make to my side bias and comedians is that 
comedians at least have a voice right so they have an audience so if you try to silence a comedian he can kind of get out a lot of people know them and they can still put their content out but the silencing of scientists which we don't talk about as much as we talk about silencing of comedians is much more dangerous because they're not popular names they don't have an audience right nobody knows them they're not very interesting when in the way that they they, they have conversations so you have a situation where a lot of scientists are silenced and we don't even know it and they're silenced because of my side bias or pure play partisanship and i think that's one you know specific danger that we see that when you silence people who are supposed to make a difference to the society in the background who don't have an audience themselves very few scientists you know have like very successful podcasts and imagine the uh, the the damage something like a like this uh, aspect is causing in many institutions and you don't even know it because they don't have an audience yeah but you know one thing that actually changed my way of looking at things again from this book was what he calls the memes i point of view where he says basically that memes memes basically ideas yeah set of ideas uh, are replicators that act only in their own interests so the my side yeah. bias might be serving the interests of the resident memes <laughs> rather than <laughs> that of the host i mean th- that scared the shit out of me to be very honest when i read that and i want to read this whole section where he talks about it so where he says thus the question is not how do people acquire beliefs but how do beliefs acquire people when i read that line i was like yeah. oh shit yes <laughs> how do beliefs yeah. acquire people not how do yeah. people acquire beliefs because that is such a profound way of looking at this whole subject and i was yeah. like okay so so you know and then he obviously you know divides the he he explains the four reasons right of how memes spread one being memes survive and spread because they are helpful to the people who host them two being certain memes proliferate because they are good fit to pre-existing genetic predispositions or domain specific evolutionary modules three being certain memes spread because they facilitate the replication of genes that make organisms that are good host for those particular memes religious beliefs that urge people to have more children would be in this category and four being memes survive and spread because the self perpetuating properties of the memes themselves now the whole point is that in such a scenario <laughs> the the dokinian and he challenges the whole dokinian narrative in the very next page right where he says you know the whole selfish uh mm. meme uh thing is does not necessarily stand in the classical way where uh, dokins spreads it but then if we are to look at it, it you know i i really care about how things happen in india and how do we challenge this so so now let's start taking a few questions too and you know somebody look we are no experts we ourselves have started by saying that we are suffering from this it's ourselves but You know, it's a very good question. Somebody has asked us, like, is being heterodox a way to overcome my side bias? Then that's a good question, actually. Yes, uh, in very many ways. Yes, in the sense that if you sometimes you might want to actually uh, play a devil's advocate in your own head, uh, I think it's important not to lose your mind over certain things and. Uh, again these are again some of the things that i tell myself i don't know whether they make 
me better or worse is that i am very cynical about politicians <laughs> in general uh otherwise you will lose your mind you know in the sense that you start i've seen what that fanaticism can do right where mm. you start uh, uh one is that and two is so when you get some information uh you need to look at least few levels behind saying who is putting this information out what is the basic study design uh you know like we talked about how many of these studies in the social science space are uh the scales have been altered or what not rather than just giving conclusions taking conclusions from what others have kind of given now it's very very hard uh and it makes you when people look at you i mean like the, the biggest problem people have with heterodox is inconsistency is that how can you be x in this and y in that right so you're supposed to have all the same beliefs so your inconsistency might be seen as dishonesty right uh tell me about always, it yeah <laughs> so you are considered a dishonest person or a liar or what not because you are not consistent in your in your beliefs or when you change your world view on something now the fact is that most people change their world view right i mean mm-hmm. i when i got to the states i was like fully in favor of you know democrats if you Uh, if i go and look back my tweet from 2015 2016 i mean uh, it's almost kind of unrecognizable how i feel today <laughs> right? as opposed to how i felt that day and even today on twitter every other day somebody will dig up somebody's old tweets and say oh but in 2013 you said this about uh, this and today you're saying something about and like i said it's very difficult to kind of fight those battles uh in a in a kind of meaningful way right so you don't have the time luxury of time or a, a willing audience for you to uh, to kind of persuade them uh, ultimately i think you have to be uh, driven by you know how you feel or what you think is in your best interest but coming back to the point i think it's important to have some of those basic uh, maybe rules or positions saying some level of you know mistrust some level of uh, uh, of uh, of cynicism and maybe question yourself you know saying that so have a basic set of questions saying that am i losing my mind is there something else that you know that contradicts this uh, should i simply you know blindly believe this and why are they saying it right i mean the biggest myth that we have is that this is for your own good right when a government tells you this is for your own good i'm amazed at the number of people who just believe it <laughs> i mean that uh, that they're doing it for their own self interest right so uh, this belief that we have uh, 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 that somebody is saying something in my own interest i mean it's not your father uh, uh, it's not your parent who are telling you things in in your interest i think we have to make this this distinction uh and not kind of lose your mind on some of those things so in that sense sense that uh, heterodox is a good position uh, uh it's a very difficult position to be in it's not easy you're getting attacked from both sides and you're on in your own head you're trying to you're you'll always be pushed to one side uh um and uh, it's it's a very difficult position to be in
but if you can pull it off yes yeah so this one i think was for me so someone has said is the aryan invasion aryan migration debate also an example of my side bias mainstream academia still doesn't like to acknowledge counter evidence i don't know i think uh, the aryan invasion aryan migration theory cannot be a classic case of the my side bias in my view because both sides in my view suffer from it i think there is there are equal problems in the out of india model too which people refuse to acknowledge so that's just my view but this is another good question so what should one do if your friends and peers are ideologically biased and will ostracize you if you have a different opinion i think you touched upon this that first of all if you are friends uh, i think the 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 no politics discussion i think with friends and family is actually a very sensible thing to do i don't know if people will agree with it or not i think it has worked very well for me i tend to avoid political discussions and secondly this is what i always try to do whenever we have a political discussion at least i don't know what you do ram but i'm trying to showcase my way of dealing with this i'll try to give a detailed representation of the other side's point of view so whenever they say something this is what i'll do so let me state your point of view correctly so what you're trying to say is that abc xyz 1 2 3 4 5 6 and if they confirm then like okay so if now that i have understood you properly and you have confirmed it this is my response to it i think that reduces the hostility a lot more like they think that oh you know he's genuinely making an effort to understand me but how would you go about it i have come to realize that in some cases it's uh, it's very very futile if you meet someone who has like say a pathological liking or hatred towards a politician they are not here to have a discussion so my first rule is to understand whether that person is wanting to have a discussion or whether they want to collectively outrage or wants to take it out on you because they can't say take it out on say a leader or what not right so i think it is very very important to kind of recognize the other thing i realized that once you get into the spiral it's very difficult to get out because it just basically messes with your mind because you have a bad conversation and then you're thinking maybe i should have said this that way or i should have said that right so for several especially if it's a good friend uh, it kind of bothers you that much more uh, so my way of dealing is it's one is actually quite simple uh, two rules never watch news with friends never so my first request when i'm visiting anybody house is that no news i i'll watch sports i'll watch anything else but if you're going to switch your tv on with news i'm out two never discuss politics first so discuss other things uh never discuss politics last so even if i had a bad discussion so i would kind of pivot to music or movies towards the end because the, i don't want politics to be the first or last thing to uh, to kind of discuss and honestly i mean no politician is worth losing your good friends over i know that Absolutely. a lot of people yeah i know that a lot of people believe differently saying how can you be friends with someone who is uh, rahul gandhi supporter or what not but the, you cannot abstract somebody's uh, or you cannot distill somebody's existence to just being that okay. unless they're a partisan hack right i mean if it's if it's a if it's a politician and uh, even then i mean like even those who who we think are like 
rank psychophants have quit that party right imagine like somebody like a sanjay ja right <laughs> and he left that party uh, so i think there is a dimension to uh, and and i think if we keep politics front and center of and start defining people that's the point that you're making is that beliefs acquire people your beliefs acquire people if we place that belief at the center of everything right absolutely and, and if i kind of start looking uh, beyond that it, it, it kind of makes better sense and i'm sure there are many many more uh, common topics and if you actively start looking for negatives in your own political narrative and what your leaders are doing i think it's a good thing uh, you can see that in among the republicans here where they don't like simply believe you know what the party establishment is saying these days and there is something healthy about that right so it might piss off some people in the leadership and uh, and in some ways in india i think what is going for bjp to my mind is still a fair bit of diversity among its supporters as opposed to congress mm-hmm. uh, in the way that they disagree on several things and make it known as opposed to you know completely kind of aligning saying that whatever they're doing is right uh, it might seem a little bit messy but uh, uh, but i think overall it, it's much better but my thing is that at work and, and with very good friends it's not a good idea i hire a lot of people who don't agree with my world view i don't discuss their politics i don't give a shit as to what they think as long as and i have seen no difference in professional standards between uh, par- a person who supports y party or x party uh, i mean I, i think they're very different and i, I think the more we make uh too much of these i think the worse it is for us personally it's not, it's not a good oh yeah thing. yeah oh yeah i agree with you and in fact um, you know one of the things another thing that i found very useful in this book is that what he calls junk memes i yeah. think one of the things that i loved that was you know junk memes are those that are you know unfalsifiable right that's what he calls yeah. junk memes so i think if we can recognize the junk memes in our mind and we can consciously get rid of them i think that will reduce our my side bias a lot and and another thing that you know he says which is again such a simple line but so profound where he says bias turns out to be easy to recognize in the thinking of others but often difficult in our now in our own now somebody might say are kya hai वो तो मालूम है अरे मालूम है तो जी के बताना द पॉइंट इज यू नो एंड यू स्टिल कैन डू एनीथिंग अबाउट इज इज द टफेस्ट पार्ट अबाउट दिस सेकंडली आई थिंक इट इट आल्सो स्टेम्स फ्रॉम एन एटीट्यूड राइट लाइक व्हाट काइंड ऑफ एन एटीट्यूड डू वी हैव टुवर्ड्स टुवर्ड्स लाइफ इन जनरल लाइक माय एटीट्यूड इज आई एम नॉट लुकिंग टू विन एन आर्गुमेंट और अ वॉर i'm mm. genuinely trying to improve myself as a human being and i in the process want to improve society human welfare has to be my baseline working if that is my working i will change my mind all the time like i you know i have so many instances of changing my mind on issues like i'll give you an example from an indian case i used to have an absolutist position on temple freedom then a friend mm. of mine who has worked inside the government gave me some data about mm. small temples in maharashtra he's mm. like how 
if they got free, there is a very huge possibility that they would actually go bust. So hmm. he said, now what would you do in that case? I immediately changed my mind. I said, then the government should give each and every temple the option, whether they want to stay or want to exit. I changed hmm. my mind, right? When I got evidence. Now, if I would have done this on Twitter, somebody would have taken my tweet out. Dekho ye mehra badal gaya. Dekho ye mehra, mehra dogla hai. I mean, what do you do in such a way? So, but then in this case, I want to talk about the problem of the free rider here. Again, a typical evolutionary problem, right? Now, there are genuine cases where in my case, I have just cited, I changed my mind. But now this person has asked a very good question. And this is a typical free rider problem. So this person says, consumers are susceptible to my side bias, but information producers intentionally produce disinformation and don't have this excuse. How must consumers react do they impose a cost and build networks of trust? Because this is that free rider problem, right? They yeah. Because we had trust in NDTV, we had trust in these channels and they betrayed our trust. And let me be very clear, I don't think the Republic is some modicum of honesty either. I, I say this very openly. I don't believe they any of them are a modicum of honesty. But my point is that how do we then do this? How do we impose costs on them is a, actually a very beautiful question. So I keep saying that any news source that does not keep you in a constant state of dissonance is a bad news source. And no such news source exists today. You have to watch multiple news sources. If I read a newspaper, it should say a few good things about my policy positions or my political leanings, and it should say a few bad things. And I should be in a state of dissonance. But structurally, uh, our human nature abhors dissonance, and therefore we want to kind of uh, get out of dissonance. But but to this, I think it's, a, it's an excellent question. Something that I've kind of grappled uh, and taken some action. Right. So when you know that there are bad faith actors on the other side, what is it you need to do? I mean, like you could simply say. Hey, New York Times is still a reputable media organization, or CNN is a reputable organization, and maybe you know you they, you should give them benefit of doubt. And I think in terms of individual action, you have to seriously impose costs, and I think you can do that in several ways. One, I had a subscription for all these guys. I had a subscription for New York Times or Washington Post, and you, know, you name it. I had subscription for all of them. At the very least, to for my own sanity, I had to cancel all the subscriptions right? because you are incentivizing. And and uh, and I think this point was made earlier. Uh, I don't know if we talked about it earlier. Is that once you've gotten to this model of journalism where it's subscriber based, you uh, you have a very different relationship now. You're, he's the customer. He's not a reader. He's paying for you directly. Right, and therefore it's your job to do things that make the customer happy. Right, you have to give a product that makes the customer happy, not the customer. You know, not question the customer's beliefs. So therefore, if I am a, a BJP supporter and Republic has to make me happy as a BJP supporter, it cannot make me angry about BJP. Or a New York Times has to make a Democrat happy. Right, so that's your classic customer satisfaction angle. And so therefore, they'll kind of keep producing information um, that is that's not necessarily accurate, but that makes the customers happy. 
especially when you are in that situation and you don't want to kind of lose your mind if you are that kind of a person and wants to be happy please go ahead and subscribe to these things and you know feel good uh, but otherwise one there has to be financial cost that you have to kind of unsubscribe to this and two i think you have to do your part in kind of putting this information out there that you know these are either bad faith actors or extreme case of uh, a mindset bias or the structural flaws in journalism today so that more and more people go out and that's when disruption happens right so that's how you have a, a joe rogan with 10 times the audience of say cnn or what not because a lot of people have imposed a cost on cnn right the highest watch cnn program probably has like 500000 people you like imagine uh, it's and people have imposed that cost on ndtv right i mean in terms of the number of people who watch the channel i mean it was never great to start with it's, it's a, but it had kind of an outsized uh, outsized influence i think you have to impose both financial and social costs uh, and moment you start feeling that i think for your own sanity uh, you should read multiple kind of news sources uh, even though it's it's a little bit painful to be in that state it's better that way rather than you know being completely aligned to one world view and losing your own critical thinking in the process right so nothing like no politician no policy position is worth losing your individuality and critical thinking uh, and uh, sometimes it seems like a easier way out but i mean all of us have been in that position in some state where we are completely aligned to something and then one day you wake up <laughs> uh, yeah so you know somebody asked this question does knowledge of my side bias help us reducing our own or make us accuse others more of having it any research on whether it rises or falls with uh, age first of all age education no criteria matches it can happen to the smartest no. of people the youngest of people the oldest of people it happens with uh, liberal intelligence it happens with conservatives i in fact i would read something from the big book for the questioner here this is beautiful so it was in the part called recognize that within yourself you have conflicting values this is the heading of that section in the book where the author says the more we realize for that for any given issue in contention there are value trade offs to consider the less my sided our thinking will be then another section he says recognize that in the realm of ideas my side bias causes an obesity epidemic of the mind and he goes ahead and says anything that makes us more skeptical about our beliefs will tend to decrease the my side bias that we display by preventing beliefs from turning into convictions understanding that our beliefs are memeplexes with their own replicative interests can help us cultivate skepticism about them uh, we just yeah. spoke about how memes uh, in, uh, you know you know basically replicate a while ago mm. the memeplexes resident in our brains will tend not to take on ideas that are hostile to themselves because those hostile ideas might displace the current belief i think this is the only way and 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 i think this would be the perfect way you know to to wrap up our discussion because uh, i have done this all the time i i consciously try to make an effort you know people might even go ahead and accuse me that ah uh, why do i make more noise when there is somebody on the opposing side of the aisle who gets the hard stick on the free speech issue and i'll tell you why 
I want to consciously make that effort that I always raise the I uh, you know raise my opposition when somebody on the other side of the aisle. It is not that I want to get the approval of the other side. I could care less about anybody's approval beyond the point. I don't care about the approval of the left or the non-left for that matter. I look for the only people whose approval I care about is my mother, my father, my brother, my wife, my uh, my sister-in-law, and my my little nephew. I don't care about anybody else's approval in my life. Uh, everybody else literally can go to hell. I couldn't I couldn't care less. I, I don't care. I'm being very open here. But the point is that I in at least this is how I try to live my life. I consciously try to seek opinions of people who I disagree with. I seek suffering in doses. Intellectual epistemic suffering. I call this intellectual epistemic suffering. I make my brain suffer so that I reduce my biases. I don't know how else do I put it. So Ram, I'll leave you with the last word for today, today's podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, whether or not it makes you uh, a, a better person, but I think for our own sanity, we have to kind of recognize some of these biases and the points that he makes that if you think you're an open-minded, educated, uh, analytical person, I, I think the first thing to recognize that, you know, that doesn't make you any better if at all it kind of makes you worse. And, and so therefore, the first assumption that you ought to make is if you think you're intelligent is that you're probably much worse off <laughs> than somebody <laughs> who is not, uh, uh, I think that's that would be one. And two, I think you have these two pillars, right? So you have somebody who can't make up their mind because they want more and more information uh, where you can never take a decision or you're changing your decision where he talks about, you know, you could be uh, uh, seen as a pathologically unstable personality, right? Where you're changing your positions every other day. I think both are very difficult situations to be in. At some stage, as boring as it sounds, you have to kind of uh, uh, strike a balance, so to speak. But uh, it reminds me of a story I used to hear. I don't know if it's kind of an urban legend. For those in the advertising world, there's a guy called Bill Burnback, who's behind the very famous you know, Avis and Volkswagen commercials in, in the US. And apparently, he had a small chit in his, uh, in his pocket. Whenever he went to meetings with clients who have differing views, and the chit simply said, "Maybe he is right." <laughs> right. Uh, so when you're listening to something, or uh, one is to think maybe he's right, and two is to go a few layers behind the information that's being presented to you, either by a scientist or a professor, or or a study, and then look behind in terms of you know what is the basic study design and that i think inquiry and skepticism in general makes you makes us better how much you can do depends on which type of content and how much you know importance it is to you in your life in general uh, but i think it's very difficult to believe that nothing can be done i think something can be done uh, and the more it gets worse the more some alternative kind of thing structures emerge. So if you don't trust the university, something else will emerge. If you don't trust media, something has already emerged where, you know, uh, some of these, you know, my said biases are not as bad and the society has imposed serious costs on uh, on corporate media, uh, at least. 
So I think, I'm, of course, I would kind of recommend this book, but uh, it's not enough to think that you know, you're aware of it, but maybe think of two, three steps that you can take uh, on a day-to-day -day basis um, to kind of help you in some ways. Excellent. Ram, uh, as always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You are one of those uh, sane people out there on social media, which is very rare to find. I mean, I don't know how you survive there with all this sanity. I I, I think uh, people can learn a lot from you. And, you know, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. So once again, thanks a lot for coming. Yeah, very generous in your comments. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. So once again, I would highly recommend all of you to go and read this book. It is called The Bias That Divides Us by Keith E. Stanovich. Uh, it is easily available on Amazon, Flipkart, wherever you can get a Kindle copy easily. Buy this book, read it. It, it will open your mind to a lot of things. Uh, we'll wrap today's discussion up over here. As always, please subscribe to the channel, like the video, leave a comment and support the Charwork podcast. You can support it by becoming a member on YouTube or on Patreon or buying the merch at kushalmehra.com or kadakmerch.com or sending your donations directly to UPI. Please follow Ram. If you want to get uh, on Twitter, if you want to get sensible information, uh, uh, trigger warning: he does not uh, does not outrage. So you will be you might if you are looking for outrage, you will not find it there. But if you are looking looking for a, a lot of sensibility, he's the best handle to follow. In fact, he's one of my favorite handles on Twitter. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye bye.